Well, good evening, everybody, and uh, so glad that you're here to join us and to see uh, the number that is in the room is really encouraging. The other number to be aware of is 10 minutes, which is what I've been given to uh, discuss with you this evening, and, um, and that'll be a challenge. Because I'm thinking about the theology of care, which is massive as a topic to think about what does God want to tell us about how we ought to care and how he cares. And so I'm just going to give us a bit of a snapshot of that as we begin and then pass it on to Kieran. And he's going to help us think about a theology around the idea of listening. Um, So as we kick it off, though, just think for a moment about the idea of the church and us as a church and ask, how does a church care? Or how... Um, what is the kind of care we should as a church provide? Thoughts? This is a quick list. How does a church care? It's the kind of stuff. Practically? Yep. And by that, something that springs to mind? Food. Food. Right. First thing on Brian's mind. Food. Good. Yeah. To be inclusive of people? Yep. Yep. So welcoming and that kind of thing, that, that idea, yep. People aren't being left out, yep. Everybody, yes. Yep. In, in areas of transport, yep. Yep. Deeply, to care for people deeply, yep. Yep, so not just surface, yep, but deeply to people's deeper needs, yep, and maybe practical needs, yep. Yeah, so broader needs, even as community needs and that kind of thing. Yeah. Cool. Prayerfully. So my hearing this evening is shot. Um, good. Yes, we should care prayerfully. Yep. All right. Good. Now, one of the things that, uh, as we started this process of thinking about how we do care and recognising the criticisms that can be made and thinking about what it is to think about pastoral care, because that's often the term that we'll use, Um, And one of the things you'll notice is that we've actually intentionally moved away from that terminology uh, to talk about NBC Care and the NBC Care team and to avoid the the idea of this idea of pastoral care. However, that is at the heart of biblical care, that it's pastoral. Um, But there's a problem with the term, and that was one of the things that we discovered really early, partly that it's hard to define what we mean by that, and it's difficult to limit uh, where that care is distinctly different from the care that we might provide, uh, that might be provided by other community services. What's distinctly Christian um, about the care that we provide, the, the, the pastoral care that we would bring? The other problem with it is often it's associated with the care that the pastors give. It's pastoral care in that sense. But, but I want us to see that actually it is much broader and deeper than that because when we critique the church, uh, and people will say that it's not pastorally caring for people well. Typically, we're thinking of the care for people's physical needs, uh, that people are falling through the cracks, um, that people uh, aren't being visited. Uh, I stopped coming and nobody noticed. Um, and in that sense, it includes things like visiting people who are shut in and lonely. Um, it includes uh, providing transportation and meals and helps with maintenance and a whole range of things. But But Christian care is more far-reaching and deeper and involves more than that. So when we ask what does God's word say about this topic, we're asking about what's what's the theology of care that we see. And as you start to think about that, one of the big terms uh, that you come across is to realise that pastoral care or the care that we provide is all about shepherding. Find that Old Testament and New Testament, that that idea and that image, but particularly in the New. And, And that's why it's called pastoral. Like caring for sheep, it's pastoral in that sense because there's something very vulnerable and needy about sheep. And that's all of us, right? The the, the Bible actually pictures us as the sheep who are in need of being cared for and God is a good shepherd who cares for us, who calls us to also provide that shepherding for others. Um, So... When you start to unpack that and think about that further, perhaps the best place to think around it is in John's Gospel, where Jesus picks up on the idea of the Good Shepherd and then defines himself in those terms, and that he, in fact, sets himself up as the model of what good pastoral caring and loving looks like. And he'll do it far better than any one of us can do that. Uh, in the context of John 10, and we're certainly not going to look at that this evening in totality, but just to realise what Jesus is saying, he'll identify himself in many pastoral terms in that passage as the gate, 
but critically as the good shepherd. But he notices that there's a difference with the kind of care and the kind of attention that he gives to sheep than what other people are doing. Uh, and that particularly that there's something um, ominous uh, that can threaten the sheep and that we are vulnerable. The, the thief, in verse 10, comes only to steal and to kill and destroy, but I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. That at the heart of the way that Jesus cares for the sheep is in giving them a fullness to life and recognising that there are things that rob that fullness from people. Now, in a spiritual sense, the, the totality of that is actually the, the sin that we carry that cuts us off from God. And so he is the good shepherd, lays down his life that we might in fact receive eternal life and life to the full. And then we get to live this life in light of our identity as those that are cared for and loved by him and on and on. But you, you recognise in that that the, that the deficit that we have and the care that we provide is also recognising the things that destroy, uh, that steal, that rob things from our lives. And we're seeking to care for people who find themselves in those places in their lives. Because all of us will find ourselves at times where things have been taken from us, loved ones, security, uh, where things have been destroyed, health, minds, various things. And what does it look like to care for those who need that kind of love and support and attention? Jesus goes on to say, verse 11, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And as you know, you see in Jesus as the model of the good shepherd, one who isn't lording above and ruling and guiding. Uh, In fact, he's self-sacrificing and serving. Um, And so you see that, that he will even lay down his life and serve in that kind of way. Now, to put that all together in some kind of a picture, it's to realise that shepherding care pastoral care, shepherding care that we're providing, is actually recognising that God is the ultimate shepherd who promises to lead his people into an eternity with him. His perspective is not just here and now and our physical needs. In fact, it's much deeper than that. It is, in fact, these eternal needs that we have. And that Jesus is God's appointed shepherd who gives life to bring people into a relationship with God. And he describes then for us the fact that he will call people into flocks, if you like, gatherings, where shepherds and pastors lead others by gospel-shaped teaching and modelling the application of God's word of grace to their life. The part of the function and the shepherding, the pastoring that the pastors do and the community group leaders and others leading in the life of our church is seeking to instruct people in that way of grace that God has has given to us. And so the goal of pastoral care is under God to lead God's people by the word of God's grace into an eternity with God. It, it, it lifts beyond our physical to recognise there's something deeply spiritual every time there's something physical that needs to be cared for. So how do we think about this? Shepherding care is play is uh, is about playing your part in leading and guiding God's people to spiritual maturity. Even in the midst of their physical needs, it never stops at just that. It's recognising that we aren't just physical, embodied things, but that God has actually made us and he's called us into eternity to him and we reflect his love for his world by drawing people into that. So... Be shepherds of God's flock that's under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. So God says, shepherd and care. Now, is he just talking to the pastors and those people in official positions? Uh, Well, no. Um, In fact, it is much broader than that. So it is about then also recognising that it's the responsibilities of all believers to be a part of this. That's why we're running nights like tonight and why over uh, in the future we want to continue to do exactly this, to, to demonstrate that it's actually the body of Christ that it's at work. So for certain, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up, the whole body, doing its part, recognising the responsibility that each one of us has. See, see what's the goal? The goal is to help people live life in all of its fullness, in the strength and according to the example of Jesus. 
as we look before in John chapter 10. But shepherding care involves strengthening and comforting and encouraging and urging believers to live a life of faith that's pleasing to God in the midst of their physical needs or their spiritual needs, emotionally, wherever they are at. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 11. For you know that we dealt with you, each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging and comforting and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and his glory. Oh, went flying past. As Christians, God's theology of care is to say he is the God who first loves us and we are called to love in response. Committed to the belief that God loves us all unconditionally and so we're seeking to reflect that love in our care for others as god words god's words command and it is a command so in john 13 the command to love one another and in the same way that jesus has loved us we must love one another and that will look different from person to person from situation to situation but in every case shepherding care happens when Christians help others, whether by listening, responding, praying and providing care and support. And as an introduction, that's all I want to say about that and I'm one minute and 15 seconds over my time limit and so I now get to pass on to my brother in Christ for a theology of listening and I take great delight in putting up that slide. Yeah, I got a lapel. All right. Want an example of what it's like to not care? Um, <laughs> love you, Leon. All right. Um, I want to talk to you about listening, okay? Uh, and how listening uh, is essential when it comes to caring for one another uh, as a church and as the people of God. Uh, and so. Yeah, that's sort of what tonight's about, right? Uh, I'm going to talk about listening, and Vanessa will in a moment too. But the Bible's just filled with commands to listen to each other. Probably everyone's familiar with James 1.19. Uh, he says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen. Slow to speak. That doesn't mean, hi, how are you, right? Um, uh, slow to speak and slow to become angry. So quick to listen. So we should prioritize listening over other things, even speaking. Uh, and this echoes a commonly repeated theme throughout the book of Proverbs. If you've ever read Proverbs, regularly uh, there's this theme about listen, listen before you uh, speak, right? Uh, and, and I remember any time I read Proverbs, I read it earlier this year in my quiet time, and, and each day I'm like, I'll try to, I'll try to take notes of, because you read like 30 Proverbs at once, and you're like, try to take note of something that really stood out every day, the one that stood out to me, because it's all through it, it was just shut up and listen. Uh, before you say anything, right? It's really humbling. And this is something I need to be constantly reminded of, that part of my Christian ministry, especially as a pastor who gets paid to stand up in front of you and talk, that actually before I do any of that, I've got to listen. Uh, And think about it. As Christians, we're called called to love one another. We're called to honour one another above ourselves. We're called to carry one another's burdens, to be reconciled to one another, to be patient with one another, to rejoice with one another, to confess our sins to one another, to serve one another. The list goes on, right? And none of these can be done without the skill of listening. Just think about them again, right? Love one another, honour above yourselves, carry each other's burdens, pray, be reconciled, be patient, rejoice with one another, confess, serve. They all involve the skill of listening. And we all love to be listened to, right? Uh, just think of the last time you were truly listened to and you truly felt heard. Uh, it feels good. Uh, and we know that it's important to build a strong relationship uh, with friends or family members or whatever. And we know that it's important to care for others. Uh, Vanessa's going to share some practical skills soon. Uh, but what I want to do right now is give a biblical foundation on why we should listen. Uh, a biblical, other than the Bible says to do it, uh, but, but why? Why should we do it? Why is it important? So the question I'm going to answer is this. Why should we prioritize listening in our care for one another? Why is it the topic tonight of our first uh, NBC Cares meeting uh, when we mentioned all these things before like food and transport and money and uh, giving them a hug? Or, why prioritize listening in our care for one another? Well, the, the, way, the way to answer this biblically is... You won't be surprised by this. Is to start with God. 
Because as we read the Bible, we understand that God's triune, right? We understand that uh, God is Trinity, one God in three persons, Father, Son, Spirit. And you would have noticed, especially in our recent study through the Gospel of John, but also throughout the rest of the Bible, that listening is an integral part of the Trinity. Think about these few things. Firstly, the Father listens to the Son. The Father listens to the Son. John 11, Jesus prayed, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me. But not only does that happen, the Spirit listens to the Son as well. John 16, when the Spirit of truth comes, this is Jesus speaking, uh, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. But then, let's flip it the other way. The Son also listens to the Father. John 12, uh, Jesus speaking again, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who has sent me has, given, uh, has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. But there's more. Uh, the Spirit listens to the Father. Oh, you probably, oh, you might be able to read it. Uh, 1 Corinthians 2, These things, Paul says, God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thought except for the spirit of that person which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Father listens to the Son. Spirit listens to the Son. Son listens to the Father. Spirit listens to the Father. We see uh, communication, listening. The Father, Son, and the Spirit have been communicating beautifully and perfectly throughout all eternity, right? And will continue to do so for all eternity. And you might be thinking, that's a cool story, but how does it relate to us, right? Uh, Well, another profound biblical truth is that you and I, humans are made in the image of God. We are made in the image of this triune God, this listening, communicating, speaking God. We are made in his image. And so part of what makes us human, part of what makes us image bearers, is that we were created to listen. To listen to God and his word primarily, but also to listen to each other. We, we were made to be communal as God, the Trinity, is communal. And part of being in his image is to have this desire to be heard, but also a responsibility to to listen. And and this biblical truth certainly lines up with our experience, right? As I said before, think about how good it feels to be heard, to be listened to, truly listened to. To to be listened to is to be heard, and to be heard is to be understood, and to be understood is, is to be validated as a human being with real needs and hurts and desires. And and I think that being listened to feels so good and is so important because when we listen to someone, we're actually looking beyond the externals uh, to a human, a person, an image bearer with dignity, beauty, purpose. And your listening to someone is is actually speaking to them more than your words could, reminding them that they're a child of God. They're made in his image. I hear you. I respect you. I stand beside you as a fellow image bearer. It's pretty powerful to do that. And so we prioritize listening because it's a function of a triune God that's manifest in all of us, his image bearers. So to, be, to listen and to be heard is, is to really tap into what it is to be truly human and in his image. And so, as James said, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, hey? I think that's why we listen. That's why we prioritise it. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that God equips us and enables us to do it. And then I'm going to hand over to Vanessa, who will uh, give us some practical tips on how to do that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, or Father, Son, Spirit, you are the triune God who listen, who speak, and who communicate and who have invited us, your people, into that eternal relationship. Help us to understand what it means to be in your image, uh, to be those who need community, uh, to be those who have a responsibility to listen.
pray that through uh, the image of God in us and through the spirit of God in us, you'll equip us to carefully and lovingly and prayerfully listen uh, to our brothers and sisters and our community. Uh, But most importantly, your word, uh, which will inform us and equip us to listen to others well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I feel very privileged tonight because I've been given 20 minutes, so I don't know if that's some special compensation for not being on staff, but I'll take the 20 minutes. Thank you. Thank you. So for those of you who don't know me, my name's Vanessa Aero. I'm a psychologist and I work in private practice in DY. I'm also a deacon here and a member of the NBC Care team. And it's my job tonight to um, present on the area of listening skills and in particular some practical aspects of that. And as I began to prepare, it occurred to me that, um, that this training actually relies on you already being able to do the skill that I'm presenting on. So you need to be able to listen to me to learn how to listen. So we'll see how that goes. But first of all, I just want you to take a moment to reflect on your own listening skills. And I'm not going to ask you to share, but if you can rate your listening skills on a score from 0 to 10, where 10 is, I am the best listener, I don't know why I even bothered coming out tonight, because I so don't need this, to a 0 where I don't think I should have come out tonight because I'm so hopeless at listening, there's no hope for me. Perhaps that would be more of a self-esteem workshop you should be going to. Give yourself a score out of 10 and just keep that in your mind as we go along. Okay, I just want you to think for a moment, um, a bit similar to what Kieran was saying before, can you remember a recent experience that you've had where you didn't feel listened to? could be from a spouse, probably more likely a child, uh, telecommunications company, something along those lines. And I'm going to ask you the classic psychologist question. How did it make you feel? Feedback? Frustration? Frustration? <laughs> Unimportant. Unimportant, yeah. Invisible, inaudible. (laughs) And what about a time when you felt that you were listened to and how in contrast did that make you feel? Could be those same people. Sometimes they listen well and sometimes they don't. Any reflections on that? Worthy. Mm -hmm. Warm and fuzzy. Quite different experience between the two. So why is listening so important in pastoral care? For a start, in our society, it's actually quite rare that we're actually listened to. In fact, it's so rare that people will actually pay money to be listened to. And that's essentially what happens in therapy and counselling. People are willing to pay for that. It's also the case that listening is really quite powerful and it can bring healing as well. Sometimes I can have a client with me for the whole hour and they pretty much will talk the whole hour. I might get a few sentences in here and there. And then at the end of that session, they'll say, oh, thank you so much. That was really, really helpful. And I'll think, don't feel like I did anything really there. But I know that an important part of therapy is that feeling of being listened to. And that's what can actually bring about change in people. I had a client today that was saying... um, His partner had been away and they were coming home today and she'd been in a stressful situation and he was um, preparing for her return. And I said, you know what, you're just going to have to listen really well when she gets home. And he goes, yeah, I know, I've heard it before. Men are the ones who like to solve the problems and women are just the ones who, you know, want you to know that they're there and listening to you. And it is actually quite true. I don't know if it's always a male-female difference, but sometimes just being there to listen to someone can bring a lot of healing and a lot of change. You don't need to solve the problem. Sometimes it's just about being heard. So out of our love for other people, which comes to us via Christ's love for us, we are then able to offer to other people that gift of listening. And that gift of empathic listening is important. Do we know the difference between sympathy and empathy? In sympathy, it's more about feeling sorry for someone. So I'm sorry that's happened to you or that classic, you know, cop show line, I'm sorry for your loss. Uh, Whereas empathy actually goes a bit deeper. Empathy is putting yourself in someone else's shoes and trying to see and feel things from their perspective. It's a much deeper level. And I think once you start to hear someone's story, 
and begin to see what they've been going through, it's often not that difficult to imagine how they might be feeling. And out of that imagining can really come a deep compassion for people. And that's very much at what's the core of um, pastoral care. So some practical skills for, for listening. You might have heard this before. Um, it's developed in, I think, in the 80s by a guy called Egan. He put together the acronym SOLA. Has anyone heard of that before? Yeah, someone still around today? I'm hearing this from a young person down the front. So the SOLA acronym stands for the following things. So the S stands for sitting squarely, facing the other person. So in that you're conveying the message, I'm here for you. The O for open posture, indicating an openness to listen to anything that you want to say. And that's important. You want the person who's speaking to you to know that they can say anything and that's okay. Uh, Leaning slightly forward indicates an interest in the speaker's words. And then eye contact is hugely important. It's really off-putting when you're talking to someone and they're not even looking at you because eye contact expresses interest and reassurance. And it doesn't have to be, you know, really staring at the other person. It's just kind of a natural kind of um, eye contact. And then after you're doing all those things, you're sitting squarely, straight across, facing the person, open posture, with your eye contact, and you're leaning forward, then you're meant to try and relax at the same time as that. So that can sometimes be a bit tricky if you're trying to overthink it. But the relaxed posture puts the speaker at ease. And as part of that too, it's important not to kind of fidget or not to do really distracting um, mannerisms, but just to sort of be centred and there. And obviously, you know, not having your phone in your hand or being distracted by anything else is important as well. So these are just practical non-verbal ways of showing that the person, um, that shows that we're listening to the person. Okay, some more things. So tips for active listening. You need to be able to start the conversation somehow. So having a, a verbal door opening is a really good idea. So just having a, an easy kind of sentence like how things been going for you this week, what's been happening, some way just to get the ball rolling and open the door. Then just like we show the person who's speaking to us that we're listening via our own body language, the person who we're speaking to is actually displaying body language that we might be able to read as well. So we need to listen for those non-verbal cues as well. So is the person's body language saying that they're closed off or are they open to the conversation? Are they smiling? Are they engaged? Uh, are their arms crossed offensively? What about their tone of voice? We need to look out for all those things when we're listening. So it's not just what we're hearing, it can be what we're seeing as well. It's good also to be able to listen for and identify the basic general feeling that's coming from the person. So is it anger or fear or joy or resentment? What are we hearing in what they're saying? And then if you feel that you can do it, it's probably more of a counselling skill, but if you can um, reflect back to the person the general feeling that they might be speaking about. So even something as simple as, you know, that sounds really stressful or, wow, how frustrating. Even something simple like that can really show the person uh, that you are listening and that you are involved in their conversation. Uh, Don't interrupt. How annoying is it to be interrupted? Um, It's very important, too, to remember that everyone speaks at a different rate and thinks at a different rate. Some people just take a lot more time to say what they're going to say. So, um, yeah, they take different amounts of time to process what they want to say, and so it's really important to let them do that and to allow and become comfortable with silence in conversation as well. And you can show that you're listening um, by doing some what they call minimal prompts. People heard that before, you know, these are the uh uh-huh, mm, right, those kind of things, just to know, um, to show them that that you're listening and and that you're on track. Don't start planning what to say next. I don't know if any of you have been in that situation where you're thinking, oh my goodness, what on earth am I going to say next? And by the time you're taking all that time and attention focusing on what you're going to say next, you're actually missing out on the conversation and, and the content of what they're saying. And I think if you are truly listening, the next thing to say will become quite natural to you, especially after you've practised it for quite a bit. But I remember early counselling days, you were going, okay, what, are, what model have I got to fit this into and what should be the next question and things like that are always in the back of your head. Okay, listen without judging or jumping to conclusions. No one likes to feel judged 
And as soon as you feel judged, what do people do? They shut down and don't share anymore. So it's important to listen without judging. Like we said before, don't attempt to solve the problem or give advice. There's a time for problem solving and often that comes later, but in this point in time when you're just hearing information, you just need to be able to listen and that's all that's required at that point. I don't know if anyone else has experienced this in um, community groups when there's a prayer time and people are offering their prayer points and you know someone says, oh yeah, I've got this really sore knee and then before you know it, there's, oh, do you have, you this, have you seen this physio? Have you tried this supplement? Have you tried this? Have you tried that? And really the person's just wanting um, to have the prayer for that. And I think sometimes we fall into that mode when we're listening. We jump straight to problem solving rather than just listening. Stay focused. If you're actually listening well, it's quite tiring. I don't know if anyone's experienced that before, if you've been in a situation where you've had to be really intently listening. It is actually quite tiring to do all that listening. Uh, and you might feel quite drained. And in thinking about that, it's important to look after yourself if you are involved in a, in a listening situation, which is quite intense. But, yeah, you, you can, I can look at my Fitbit at the end of the day and see 2,000 steps and yet be totally exhausted. So it is tiring to listen. Avoid me-tooisms. I don't know if you've had this experience where you've shared something, you know, like you've had a cold and the next minute the other person's telling you that they've got pneumonia or something like that or, you know, you've said, oh, I'm busy and, oh, you can't believe you've only got two children, I've got four children and imagine all the stuff that goes on with that. So not trying to one-upmanship the other person and, and make it all about you. And this is something that comes out a lot in the area of pastoral care. We need to constantly be asking ourselves the question, whose need is it? And in that situation, whose need is being met? It's more about me than the other person, whereas it should be about the other person. It shouldn't be about me. Uh, oh, I've gone to one down. So the one up above says, don't ask direct questions to satisfy your own curiosity. I'm really bad at this because I'm such a natural, curious person. I always want to know more. And so I think I fall into this habit quite a bit. But it's important to recognise that the person will tell you what, what they want you to know and in their own time and in their own space. Then that next one, we've got paraphrase and summarise. Um, this is kind of a classic skill. I don't know that I do it all that much, so I thought, oh, maybe I should do a bit more of that. Um, it's really just summarising what the person said and reflecting that back to them, and that's another way that um, you can show that you're listening and then they can correct you if you've got anything you know that's not quite right, so that's quite useful as well. And the last one is practice. Listening is a skill. So even if you rated yourself a zero earlier on, listening's a skill and that means you can, you can learn it and then you can practice it as well. So what are we going to do now? Nothing more scary than seeing a slide that says practical exercises there. So um, what I'd like you to do, so this is where you actually get to try your skills, is to split into pairs um, it might be nice if you, you know, maybe to go with someone different, maybe not your spouse or something like that, just to make it a little bit more challenging for you. <laughs> and I'd like you to share something that's happened perhaps this year um, where it's not a traumatic story or anything, but just something that might have happened this year that has some emotional content involved in it. So just thinking about that. Uh, and so the job is for one person to share the story and the other person just to listen. And then um, we'll give you a couple of minutes to do that and we'll swap around and then, um, yeah, the other person can listen and, and, yeah, vice versa. So you might, the listener might want to start off with a nice open question like, you know, what would you like to share, for example. Any questions? Okay. Go. Okay, now thinking back to the initial score that you gave yourself as a listener, after going through what we've been through, would you rate yourself the same? Or are you thinking, well, before I thought I was an eight, but now I think I'm, you know, really a nine. Most of that stuff I do. Or the other way around, maybe I'm um, more of a seven than a nine, maybe because I like to, you know, interrupt or fill the gap of silences or ask too many questions or try and problem solve. It doesn't really matter what the score you gave yourself is. I think it's just important to be really real about what your skills are and to be able to see yourself where you might need things to improve. So that's pretty much the end of my session. Hand over to Katie. Thanks, Vanessa. Okay, we're going to move into a time of question and answer. 
So I'd like to welcome back up Kieran, Leon and Vanessa. We've got some mics here and I'm going to run around with this microphone. So if you have a question, in a moment, put your hand up. About 10 years ago, I um, was asked to mentor somebody who had really serious issues. And um, yeah, I obviously knew fairly quickly I wasn't equipped to um, to help that person, that that person needed clinical clinical help, um, but wouldn't get it. Um, how do you... Um, and, and so I guess I continued being a friend, but kept saying I'm really not equipped and I'm out of my depth. What would you have done in that scenario, Vanessa? <laughs> oh, yeeah, it's on. That's a really hard question because you're obviously in a position where you actually had a good relationship with that person and then they wouldn't take the next step. Is that kind of the scenario? I didn't actually know them very well at all. Ah, oh, okay. And I think, I mean, obviously you can't force someone to get help. But I wonder, yeah, whether there's ways of... I'm not actually sure about that. So I think um, one of the things that we're wanting to establish in the church is that as part of the broad pastoral care that's happening, so that's happening in lots of different places, informally, if you like. So you can think about community groups or conversations you're having after church, in discussions as you're meeting with people, you're having those things, and things can come up and all of a sudden they scale to a level where you're thinking, this is actually beyond what I anticipated this conversation to be. Um, That doesn't mean that we stop caring and we stop listening and we stop loving and praying and working out how to support. But we also want to make sure that we've got systems of referral in place, that we know what the lines are and where those things can go. So um, as we're talking about pastoral care and getting a group of people who are thinking about how they might be able to be intentionally investing in other people's lives, we're also making sure that there's a, a, a core team that's actually meeting every fortnight um, here on a Monday and going through various different care lists. And so something like that um, would scale into that space. It would come, that, that would be ideal to say, I'm meeting with someone, this is the situation, what would you advise? And we might be able to then point you to, yeah, whether it's counselling resources or various different kind of things that might be able to um, assist that person or to draw other people in with you in order to be able to meet with that person and, and continue that relationship but then put other supports around it. One of the things we do in our budget is we allocate an, an amount for compassion uh, and most of that compassion we want to direct towards uh, counselling support for people because we recognise that it's one of the things that people are least likely to pay for and um, need most at times of crisis. And so um, be aware that that's always available because one of the inhibitors for people progressing to that step is it's too expensive to be able to go and pay for um, some counselling, some go and see a psychologist, whatever it may, whatever those things. So those resources are around. And then there's health plans and all those other things. So I think scaling through, we're developing a list of resources in, within the community around us as to where those things can direct to who are good um, yeah, trusted advisors, trusted counsellors, different kind of things, and so those things are available as well. Yeah. I think it's really important to to not feel like you're own, on your own in it because that can be quite isolating as well, and, and it can be a heavy burden on you. So being able to share that with other people. Yeah, and I tell people up front that what I'm not. So I have not trained in clinical psychology. I'm not a I'm not a trained counsellor. I'm a pastor of a church, and so I can do that function, but that's the limit of it. Um, and so for that, that reason, I think I've got things that are helpful, um, but, but I'm limited in other capacities. And so there'll be other people who will be well, uh, who'll be much better at being able to, to help you move through those things. I was just thinking that something, when you do continue that role, say that Angie was talking about, we can actually stop somebody going to a counsellor by them being satisfied with what we say to them because they don't want to take, they're too scared maybe to go to a counsellor and we have to try and not let that situation develop too. Yeah. And and then you you have the danger of hurting yourself, you know, because you take on all of those things. You don't necessarily have the capacity to be able to um, debrief or be able to disassociate from those things perhaps. And so sometimes, yeah, not only are you unhelpful to that person, it's really unhelpful for yourself to put yourself, to be put into that position. It's taking the mystery away from going and seeking help and counselling. I mean, I don't know how many clients I see that say, oh, I didn't sleep last night, I was so worried about coming. You know, wow, have that effect on people before they even meet you. So being able to take a, a, away that you know, fear, I think. 
Yeah, taking that stigma away from mental health, hey? Like, the more people that say, yeah, I've seen a counsellor, I've seen a psychologist, or I've done this or that, the more people are like, oh, it's, it's normal, I'm not a crazy person if I have to do it. And I think I've done this with a couple of people, like, you offer to, if, if you think that their issue needs to be escalated or taken to someone who is better or an actually trained, um, then sometimes they'll be comfortable if you go with them. Uh, yeah, and I know that some counsellors uh, well, yeah, are happy to have a pastor or someone else come alongside or, or to be filled in, uh, or a friend. So, yeah, even offer that sort of as well. Like, would, I think you should go, I'll come with you. We'll sit there together and, yeah, and wean them off yourself slowly, I suppose. Um, given that, uh, I guess you guys all deal with um, different age groups, demographics, all that sort of thing. Um, and obviously when you probably would counsel with individuals, um, you want to try to unlock the deeper meaning, right? Like to, to not just have surface but go, go into some depth. Are there any sort of techniques that you might recommend that can sort of take away just from surface to then get a little bit, get into the, the deep stuff? I think you should be teaching us that, Brian. <laughs> that is like a skill of yours that you're excellent at. So do you want to come up and tell us? No. I think sometimes it's getting to know the person and getting to know when you can ask a question that is a bit deeper. So then that's sort of more outside the just realm of listening but more the sort of therapeutic relationship. But, I mean, you can do that in a, in a pastoral care setting as well. I think if you get to know someone really well and, and you get a feeling that they're going to be receptive to you asking a deeper question, I think you can probably do that if you know that you've got that relationship. And once again, they'll only share what they want to share. You're not coercing a, you know, a statement out of them from the police or something like that. So. I think that two things can be happening. One is that we feel inhibited to go deep. Like we don't want to ask the questions, so we'll keep it at that surface level. And so, and so, to not fear that space, I think, is one thing that I would say. Uh, and then sometimes it's the other person who who always wants to keep it at that level, and then over time you work opportunities to be able to have, yeah, to kind of move off the discussion around a sport team or whatever it might be to get to that kind of space. Um, but one of the things I think is actually praying beforehand, going into that conversation. Um, there's been some, even just recently, where I, um, I've not been able to talk to someone in isolation because they've been surrounded by people and just to pray for an opportunity to be able to just have a one-on-one because we've never been able to talk at a spiritual... This is someone who was in palliative care and um, you just you want to be able to have those conversations but never was able to get there because it was crowded. And the next time I rocked up, I was praying on the way in. Inexplicably, no one in the room. And uh, it was great mm. to be able to just have that time together. Um, but pray. Mm. Um, yeah. Well, have the conversation in the car. People are much more likely to open up when they're not actually facing directly to, in contrast to what I said before. Sometimes for people driving along in the car, it could be an opportunity. Something that's been going through my mind is so much conversation these days is on social media and particularly amongst young kids. I, I don't really use it personally, but... I just wonder how some of these issues that we're talking about can be dealt with in, t- you know, where the conversations are on social media. Because from what I understand, some of the conversations can get fairly deep and uh, raise fairly significant issues. I think about the whole area of bullying on, via social media and how do we deal with all of that, you know, rather than the face-to-face stuff that, um, you know, we're used to, but a lot of young people just, from my observation, just exist. A lot of their conversations are via social media. I think the trick is sometimes... Well, I know that some schools uh, have, have put packages together where it's sort of online care, so it's websites and other portals where they're able to, and and not just schools but Lifeline and other organisations like that have online uh, opportunities, so they've made a sort of social media platform for people to go and ask for help, uh, because they feel more natural chatting that way. Uh, A lot of of the bullying and that sort of stuff goes on invisibly, Um, but something that I often notice when I'm on social media is 
if you are, if you know what's going on and you're able to see people's message feeds or see what people are saying in conversations that are going on, uh, it's sometimes it's pretty easy to identify that someone is struggling or is saying things that show that they're having a hard time in life. Uh, and and I like I, I always use that as an opportunity to send them a message directly, even if it's someone I haven't seen for a long time. And so the students I used to teach. 10 years ago, whatever, you see something pop up and you send them a message and then immediately you'll get a message back saying, oh yeah, can we catch up and have a chat? And so even just like sometimes that social media, even though it is a facade uh, and it is quite shallow, it can be a really easy entry point into um, having a conversation with people because it's disarming in a way. I, I agree with those things. So there's, here's this whole platform or platforms of ways in which we communicate yeah, the communication's really limited. And, and that's, it's interesting to think about what it can't do. And then how much as human beings we, we hunger for, um, embodied relationships. Um, we're not built for that disembodied communication ultimately. So we may be able to communicate certain things, even if it was aerograms and telexes and other things in previous generations and hieroglyphics. We've been able to communicate in written forms, but, but there's, there's also always been this verbal communication. And I think um, I had two things that I was thinking of doing this evening. The, uh, the other one is to think about the nature of the incarnation, that God in the past has spoken to us in many and various ways. So through the prophets, and you can think of all the ways, and God could continue, continually have chosen to communi- communicate to us in any means that he wanted to, like even through the technologies of today, um, yet at a particular point in history, he incarnated himself in human form. And so Hebrews 1 tells us that uh, in these last days, he is uh, in the past, he's communicated in various many ways. He's not communicated. He has in these last days. Anyway, he's through Jesus Christ, who is the exact representation of his being. You can look it up, Hebrews 1. Um, but what that says to me is that um, God takes on human form. He comes as the word embodied, which means that we're called to listen to him and respond to him. But that same kind of embodied relationship is actually what we're built for. And so God perfectly ministers to us. And then I think that serves as a, a, a greater model. So we might start at a, at a social networking platform level, or we might start at a superficial conversational level, but we're always meant to be drawn into deeper human relationships, because that's the way that we're, we're because we are image bearers of God. And I, I agree what Jeff was saying, that um, I don't think we're made for that kind of communication. We like beginning, middle and end, and there's no beginning, middle and end on social media, and I think that's what makes it so dangerous. There's no end to the stories that we see, it's just a continual flow. I think that's why we struggle with it. In these last days, he has spoken to us. <laughs> spoken was the word, which is ironic. <laughs> Just a practical thing. So um, if we become aware of a need in a conversation when we're talking to somebody, what do you see as the structure within the church of how we then sort of um, get resources flowing? So uh, let me give you a snapshot of that. So... Um, we recognise that there are t- two arms to the way that we care in the life of the church. One is this kind of informal pool of things that take place. You think of um, deck time, conversations after the services, we're praying for one another. Think of all the things that might be happening in community groups. Some of those needs as they present, we're able to meet them there and then. We can meet and chat and pray and talk with someone. We might be able to follow up that. And maybe it's something that might just be within the, the conversation that you and I are having, that those things may be met. It may scale up in our community group and our community group may be able to serve in those kind of spaces. <laughs> So that's that informal aspect, if you like. But then on this formal side, and um, the way that we um, see this working, as I mentioned before, we have a group that's meeting um, at the moment every week. It'll slide to probably every fortnight where we're actually going through things systematically because we're finding a week a little bit kind of too soon. Um, and we've got a number of lists that, that of of which have various different needs that we're that we're monitoring. So part of it would be to notify into the, the that past that care group that meets on a Monday to elevate things to that level, and then um, we'll have. Um, the opportunity for those people who want to be part of the NBC care team, ministering and serving, maybe going and meeting someone, 
um, meals, transport, those things, there's, uh, those needs will be effectively posted out. So we currently do this with the meals ministry. So if you're part of the meals ministry, and I'm, I suspect a number of you are, you'll know that uh, a need will be raised, it gets emailed across uh, those people who have said happy to make meals, and then people subscribe to those needs and meals are therefore delivered. And let me say that ministry is incredibly valued in the life of our church. The feedback that we get on, on the way that that operates and the efficiency of that, and so thank you if you're already serving in that space. And we will be doing the same thing with other needs like visitation or transportation and those practical needs. So as we're made aware of them, um, Tinica, we're going to allocate some aspects of Tinica's time in the office to administer um, the posting and the distribution of those needs so that those are met in a timely nature. And if no one picks up those needs, then we'll, um, we'll make sure that they either get reposted or they get seen to and that's understood. Um, but we'll also triage them because one of the things is to work out what are the things that the church should be responding to and able to need and where do we need to then reach out to other community services and those things. Um, does that answer that question enough? Yeah. So uh, there'll, be, there'll, there'll be opportunities to do that via phone, email and, and I suspect also probably a link on the church's website where you'd be able to register um, those kind of needs and then they'll be then posted through. So we're looking for the best platform to do that in terms of how to communicate out to people and there's a number of resources to do that, which is good. Yeah. Yeah, so to be about asking the person, would you mind if I just let, we have a care team that meets on a Monday, can I just raise that need with them? And if they say yep, then bingo. If they say nope, then don't. Um, yeah, those things, are, all those things are really important. Always asking for permission uh, for those people, and then and then having, and we'll talk about this in future weeks as well. Then having um, the discernment and, and the wisdom to actually keep that, to not feel like you need to share that in love with the rest of your community group, um, but to hold that in confidence. And then, yeah, and then in a sense, you kind of carry uh, that burden for one another to be able to kind of follow up and say, how, how are you going? And if they are, are unwilling to move from that. They might sit with that for a while, but yeah, hopefully over time, build trust. And so the the aim is an invitation tonight will come where we're asking people um, to respond and to join up into a pastoral care team, and um, there's a document that you'll um, be given that will describe that, and we want to provide. Uh, eight week every eight weeks another kind of chapter in, in different aspects of pastoral care training. So that's the short answer. But broader seminar things um, that would be inv- invited to others, um, yeah, somewhat regularly, maybe not as regularly as every eight weeks, but quite, but quite regularly we want to explore broader themes. So tonight around the theme of listening, we wanted to start there because it's so foundational to everything else, um, but then to think around the issues of grief and loss and to think around a whole range of different subjects and things. Now, they, they are of interest to people broader than might be as part of that, that care team, and so we'd make those seminars available more broadly.